everybody. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being here with me. And uh, yeah, I'm grateful. I'm grateful to share this space with you for the next few minutes. I want to um, focus this time around something that's come up for me more specifically lately, but it's been a bit of a theme that I've observed through my own life. And one that I see being touched upon by my third culture kid clients. And that's about knowing what we enjoy. There's so much we talk about identity in terms of culture, in terms of um, allegiance, in terms of where we belong, and all the challenges therein. But fundamentally, we at some point very often come to a question of how do I know who I really am, what I'm about, what I value, what I enjoy, how do I know how to orient my time, my resources, my efforts. So I wanted to look at that today. The other day I was sitting in a beautiful cafe having just demolished the most gorgeous lunch. Avocados, sourdough bread, grilled halloumi, poached eggs and chilli jam, for those of you who, like me, grew up reading Famous Five and all of their very detailed accounts of picnics. I sipped my coffee and contemplated pudding and basked in just how incredibly lucky I was. Lucky on two counts. First, that I'm in a position to enjoy these things, that I have time and resource to do so, that I'm in a place where I can access this stuff. But crucially, lucky that I now know what I enjoy and was able to validate that enough to come out and get it. It hasn't always been like that. Like many of you, I grew up with a clear enough sense of comfort and discomfort, what felt good and what felt bad, but my personal preferences, priorities and pleasures were elusive constructs. I like the alliteration of that. Preferences, priorities and pleasures. These constructs are so tightly wound around our identities. And to those of us juggling multiple identities, knowing what we take joy in is somewhat of a moving target. I remember with a certain thrill of horror the many youth events I felt thrust into as a high schooler. At some point, an intimidatingly chirpy and energetic youth leader would ask a series of icebreaker-type questions, often orienting around trying to elicit from us some kind of detail about ourselves. I hated them. Perhaps you felt a similar dilemma. Do I whack them with the most obvious fact about me? I live, lived in Africa. Or do I try and offer something more personal about myself? Something that jumps over the obvious and communicates who I am, not simply 
facts about the life I live. But if I'm going to communicate who I am, which who? I remember common questions that I struggled with. The one we all know, of course, is where are you from? And the kind of stuttering dilemma that puts a lot of us into. But there were other questions I struggled with too. Questions that I felt needed context. What's your favourite season? Well, are we talking about the four seasons generally understood to be reality in England? Or are we talking about the different kinds of weather seasons in Niger? Are we talking about rainy season, dry season, harmattan? What, what are we talking about? Which favourite? What's your favourite thing to do? Well, again, in which country? What are the options? One of the common forms of socialising growing up was all hanging around at the poolside, um, usually at either the French club or the American club, some sort of expatriate hangout, where the whole family would go and uh, spend the day. That's not a thing here in England. So what are we talking about? Again, what are the options? What's your favourite food? Ugh. I remember the looks of pity, actually, and astonishment from people, family as well, when as a child we'd come back to England and I would devour every apple I could lay my hands on as if it was the most exotic fruit, beg for apples, which were like gold dust and cost gold dust in Niger. And yet, mango and papaya, seen as fairly exotic over here in England now, well, that's your basic. <laughs> What's my favourite food in what context? And then, given that it's so contextual, how do I really know if these are my preferences, my priorities and pleasures, or are they just contextually determined? Do I really love to read, for example, or do I do it so much because I didn't have TV or the cinema or hanging out at the mall with friends? What does it communicate in this culture if I say I love to read? What identity does that align me with? When so much of our anthology of fun changes as our context shifts, how can we feel confident of our own answers to questions around what we do for fun? And I don't know about you, but I tend to associate funness with spontaneity and a kind of social openness, parties, sociability, last minute craziness. The thing with those is that the premise of these kinds of fun is often a sense of breaking or at least bending the rules, a kind of what the hell attitude that breaks with convention, which is hard for the TCK who's busy trying to figure out what the convention is in the first place. There's that old adage that you need to know what the rules are before you can break them. There's a lot out there about third culture kids being bridge builders. Not so much about being bridge bungee jumpers. The need to figure out what the heck is going on 
can be a major inhibitor in feeling like the funnest person in the room. And then, of course, there's the additional stress of, what if I give the wrong answer? Is it possible to have fun wrong? Lots of people feel the worry of being perceived negatively by their peers. TCKs don't have a monopoly on this. But cultural misunderstanding can add a new layer of risk as well as shame here. I remember vividly a physical education class in primary school in the UK where this was brought home to me. Generally baffled by the apparatus and noisy gym of chattering children, I was relieved when directed to a hanging rope we were encouraged to climb. Having spent as much time up trees as possible from a young age in Niger, I thought, here is something I can do. It felt good to me to scramble and climb, and and it was a physical challenge I enjoyed. As I hauled myself fairly easily to the top, I slowly registered the frown of my peers. It was the wrong fun. Turns out it wasn't cool for girls to demonstrate strength in this culture at that time. The confusion I felt felt devastating and its impact was significant. TCKs can grow up with some significant complications around translating fun from one culture to another. The sporting opportunities open in one country might be very different in another And there might be language barriers. What are the community expectations? Movie nights in one context might be swapped out for clubbing in another. And I've heard from more than a handful of TCKs that age-appropriate expectations around social activities changed vividly between country moves as well. What I hear a lot of us doing and learning to do is to build inoffensive preferences, priorities that are oriented around the needs of others and pleasures that can be justified as morally correct. Just hear that again for a moment. We often build inoffensive preferences, priorities oriented around the needs of others and pleasures that can be justified as morally correct. Of course, doing this serves a very important purpose. It protects us from judgment, rejection, and crucially, from our own sense of shame for having embarrassed ourselves. Sadly, this brilliant protective act also shields others from our distinctiveness. Not the, I lived in Africa and I'm so different from you kind of distinctiveness, but an individual distinctiveness based on my personal identity. Not where I grew up, but my preferences, my priorities and pleasures massively impacted by where I grew up. But a personal declaration where I own that impact. This shield often serves to create the very alienation we're desperately wanting to avoid. When people can't see who we are, they can't reject us easily, but neither can they love us, us, our personal self. Who is your personal self? What are your preferences, your priorities, your pleasures? 
What do you do for fun? When I think of that little girl me realising that her personal strength was going to be a barrier, actually, to fitting in in this country, I absorbed that and minimised it. And yet, of course, as an adult, while my peers are still of this culture, they've grown up a lot. And my personal strength would be absolutely welcomed in many, many settings. If I can risk it, if I could let that part of me be seen. But it's my personal shame that keeps it locked away now. Not negative feedback. Until recently, I tended to measure my funness in reference to what I thought others would perceive as fun, the habit of a lifetime, to look at myself through the filter of another's gaze. Sadly, this left me somewhat wanting, partly because my idea of fun doesn't feel very exciting or meaningful. or They linked me to identities I thought I wasn't supposed to have. And because of this, I struggled to prioritise my own preferences and certainly to admit openly how much pleasure I took from them. I still love to climb. And I struggle with inhibition around climbing walls and climbing groups. That brings me sadness and limits people's ability to see that part of me. See, our pleasures connect us to identities. One way I hear this often is when TCKs talk about loving to travel to new places but feel extremely adverse to being seen as tourists. Their preference of travel ties them to an identity they don't want. I enjoy walking but I'm hesitant to be deemed a walker, frankly for fear of disappointing expectations around fitness and stamina. These complicated associations can go so far as to block us from accessing our pleasures. Just as climbing that rope, identifying me as a strong girl, led me to disassociating from my physical confidence at a young age. We can learn that what we take pleasure in is frivolous, shallow, or just straight up shameful. And all of this blocks our ability to truly see ourselves, to see what makes us tick. Oh, my heart. What pleasures would be open to us, to you and to me, if we felt able to pour approval on them without fear of identities they could imply? After all, if this is really our own story, we can build our identities ourselves. I could be a strong girl my way. A walker, my way. I could give myself permission to move through life acknowledging and nurturing the ways I would prefer to engage with the world, prioritising my own values and needs, and taking pleasure freely in what I notice myself enjoying. And this, this is my personal self, a self I can share with others. Allow them to witness because I already approve of it and I could use it to build connections as well as nurturing distinctiveness. And actually, my story, 
the very one offers confusing and conflicting ideas around preferences, priorities and pleasures, this is the story I'm still writing, where there can be new pages that acknowledge what is fun for me now, without shame or denial. You know what? I'd be ready for those icebreakers today. My name is Rachel, and I've just learnt I love avocados on sourdough bread and writing at cafe tables with the hubbub of people chatting around me. And I'm looking forward to my two-hour walk home too. What about you? Thank you for listening. Thank you.